1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday show. We get to chat with Mike Guardia every first Monday. And Mike is an award winning author. He is a historian, he's a history educator, a military historian, a U.S. Army veteran and he is the author of over 20 books, and that's what he's joining us today to talk about his upcoming uh, biography called Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool. He's talked a little bit about him before on our shows, um, but we're very excited because this is a book everybody needs to have. Um, It's going to make a great gift for the holidays. I'm just saying it's coming out in time, end of October, early November. We got a sneak peek at the book, uh, so everyone, the best thing is keep up with Mike. Go to MikeGuardia.com. Also follow his Facebook and YouTube uh, pages and um, watch for this book to come out because J.D. Vanderpool has an incredible story. Um, really just going from his childhood to you know entering in the army, going to Hawaii, the Philippines, Korea. Um, can we just call him a badass? Because as Nancy started reading the book before me, every time yeah. i walked walk near Nancy, she goes, dude, this guy's a badass. He did this, 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 I this, agree.
2: This, this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's yeah.
1: a coyote badass. no, okay. oh, he, just, he just thinks
2: this is the way to do it and I'm doing yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. Without orders or with orders, it doesn't matter. Not only is he going to do it, he's going to do it his way. Mm-hmm. And once he's committed to something, he's going to finish it. Like, finish it. Like, mm-hmm. supposed to shoot out half of people on the island. You guys are dead. Sorry, you're gone. Done. Bye-bye. Because he's not going to stop until he's done exactly what he set yeah. out
1: to do.
0: Yeah, he is a real go-getter, man of true pioneer stock.
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: That's for sure. Well, yeah, talk a little bit about his childhood, because I think right. that propelled him to to (laughs) bad this is just going to be, (laughs) (laughs) YouTube is going to go beep, beep, beep. You're not allowed to say all this stuff, but yeah, it's true.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, uh, wow. You know, here is a guy who had a true pioneer upbringing. I mean, you know, when I look at it, all I can think to myself is that people like Daniel Boone and Jim Bridger, they got nothing on this guy. I mean, Mm. nothing because, you know, here was a boy who, Grew up pretty much in the throes of the Great Depression, and he um, he spent most of his childhood in, in the great outdoors, um, camping, hunting, and fishing. I mean, this guy was an expert mountaineer and an expert outdoorsman by the time he was 12. You know, I mean, he was doing things, and I mean, he was acquiring all these outdoorsman skills um, to a level mm-hmm. that I don't think most Americans eat even back then could even imagine. So, you know, being that he was on his own from a very early age and being that, you know his parents were pretty much hands-off in their approach and that he really didn't have the best home life anyway. I mean, that is a recipe for making a man who is truly self-reliant and really a modern day mountain man.
1: Mm. Because when you think about all the places he lived, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, um, the Dust Bowl region, Oklahoma, yeah. When you think about that terrain, and Nancy and I know it very, very well, and it, it's like Texas, right? It's you—you mm-hmm. you have to handle heat, extreme changes in mm-hmm. weather, hot and cold, and all the things that come with those places: snakes, scorpions, insects. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we're always going to go there, but it's all true. All wildlife because, that you hmm.
0: wish you hmm. had never seen it before.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like those, you those know, which can fuel
0: your nightmares too.
1: Yeah. The 29 palms, those solifuge uh-huh. things, the little Vinegaroo things. Yep. Camel spiders. Oh. Camel spiders, yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no dude. way. Dude. I, I got nailed. But when you kill them, they they turn into pepto abysmal. And if they're, yeah, they're pink on the well, inside. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes. It's like something out
0: of a sci fi movie. I mean, I remember it the is. first time I saw a camel spider, I'm like,
1: what the heck is it what is that yeah
0: (laughs) i was like i can't be real
1: you know (laughs) no and they do go after you i you know you wake up in the morning and there's like one like or in the middle of the night you turn your night light on and there's one sitting there or a scorpion and you're like because that used to happen in arizona scorpions
2: scorpions are all like here with their little pinchers yeah. Well, this is why yeah, nice. They're like, yeah, they, the raids. I didn't
1: realize. And then the they get into that. the air
0: ducts and they get into the showers too,
1: dude. Weird. Oh, because yeah. they want moisture. I've had big scorpions in my shower. Like you go, yeah. no. Always check your shoes. Always check mm-hmm. your shoes. Turn them upside well, I down. One in my bed. Yep. Pleasant. Oh, all right. I mean, yeah. yeah. But this, but this point, let's not keep talking about it. I'm going to have to start looking and seeing that there's nothing around my feet. I don't start to look at my feet now. (laughs) It it is October, you know, Halloween is coming. Um, But when you think about understanding all those things, being outdoors and the weather changes, Mm -hmm. I think that's something the army really does. I mean, we're talking about 29 Palms being, you know, this military base, Oceanside, you know, all of these bases. I mean, even just like when we were in the Florida panhandle, realizing, all these terrains that the military, regardless of its navy, army, mm-hmm. uh, the marines, really does take you know the troops and put them through different terrains to prepare them because I don't you know I don't think you can really be a hundred percent prepared for a new country until you're there. But um, I think once you understand the outdoors, you understand the outdoors. You understand observation. How much do you think of of him as being? Um, a good observationist in watching and being able to make decisions from being outdoors?
0: Well, I think that it really put him ahead of a lot of his peers because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're young and you still have a lot of plasticity in your mind and you are still very emotionally resilient at that point, I think if you learn those hard lessons at an early age and if you develop a lot of those hard skill sets at an early age. It uh, really helps you to be able to make those decisions. It gives you that intellectual ammunition. It gives you that mental flexibility, I guess, in order to really prepare you for how to act in those situations and how to be able to observe it with a critical eye Mm -hmm. And be able to detach a lot of the panicky emotions that I think would otherwise be associated with it. Mm.
2: Yeah, Yeah, because there is no, with this fellow, there is no second guessing. Once he makes a decision, which is really fast, he goes like 120%, man, that's it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't second guess himself. He's whatever he's gonna do, he's gonna go full charge. Mm-hmm.
1: So then he knows and how he to do calculated that. risk then.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 he sure did. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, from a pretty early age, I think you know, he, uh, you know, he was forced into a situation where he had to make those calculated risks mm-hmm. because you know, he never said it explicitly, but you know, if you read through his oral history and you just listen to how he describes his upbringing, uh, you know, it, it's, not, it, it, it's, it's never something that he explicitly stated, but when you read between the lines, you can pretty much surmise that he did not have the most stable home life, and he yeah. really did not have what you would call a happy childhood. And, you know, to, um, I, 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 I can safely extrapolate that he used his love of the outdoors kind of as a means of escapism. Um, but, you know, when he is only a few weeks shy of his 17th birthday, his mother falls ill and she passes away. So here he is orphaned at the age of 16. He is the eldest of four boys. Um, you know, his parents had been divorced for a few years at this point, and he hadn't seen his dad in years. You know, the father was completely estranged by this point. So... He is, you know, he, he is essentially the man of the house, but you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have the means to either support um, it, any of his brothers, much less himself. So he says, "Okay, guys, well, you know, at this point, we pretty much have to scatter to the four winds. Uh, you know, we know where a few of our relatives are located, so uh, let's just make a promise to stay in touch with each other, and uh, you know, we'll do the best we can on our own terms. So, you know, just." being straddled at the age of 16 and having to make that decision, Mm. I think is going to mature him light years beyond any other 16 year old in America at Mm. that point. And, you know, to find himself in a situation where he's like, okay, well, I have to drop out of school. I know that I am not Mm. going to get my diploma. So what options do I have? Well, we're 1934, we're smack dab in the middle of the great depression. The Dust Bowl is making life miserable for everybody here in Oklahoma maybe I can join the Civilian Conservation Corps, maybe I can find refuge of sorts in one of these New Deal programs. And uh, like, it was just shortly after his 17th birthday that he walks into a CCC camp and he says, okay, boss, I'm here, give me a shovel, give me a hammer and please give me something to do. (laughs) So, uh, you know, so, Um, spending a year in the CCC, I think, really um, added to that mental maturity, because, you know, here were a lot of other teenage boys in a very similar situation to his own. And, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were essentially building the national park system at this point. You know, they were building building these check dams, and uh, all, all of these irrigation systems. And then after that, he says, okay, well, I've had enough of the CCC. Now I'm just going to become an itinerant worker, working my way from place to place, try to stay with some relatives and then save up enough money to where I can finally get to California. And by the time he's 18, you know, he's working a day job in construction where he's building the All-American Canal. And then at night, he's, he's a truck driver. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, man, these are, these are two blue collar jobs, very hard right. labor jobs mm. that an 18 year old kid is doing. And yeah. I'm just thinking, man, that, uh, yeah, wow. that, that mentally is going to make him at least the equivalent of your average 35 year old. Yeah, least. for sure.
2: For yeah. Sure, and yeah. Then to
0: say, well, you know, I think I've had enough of this, but, uh, you know, to see the world, maybe get some room and board, you know what, boss, I think I'll join the army. And mm-hmm. yeah, just, uh, yeah, to, to have that experiences lead you to the army by the age of 19. Um, yeah, that 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 right there is going to make one outstanding soldier.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, going, you know, that double duty work that is hard work physically.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But,
1: you know, when you think about truck driving, um, you know, we've talked about it with pilots and and things mm-hmm. where you're, you're, behind the wheel and you have to have a focus, you have deadlines, Mm -hmm. you you know, you have to make it work. Um, I think that's also part of his makeup is that part of that observation and that drive that he has, literally, to be able to do that and do it double duty. That's that's a lot of work. So off he goes to the army, but he had a choice to go to Hawaii Mm -hmm. or to go to the Philippines. And he's like, let's go to, you know, let's go to Hawaii and, and see some palm trees and see the ocean and you know, but that, but that's the same. And I mean, the Philippines have palm trees, and they have palm trees in ocean. <laughs> but he thought Hawaii was going to be more fun.
0: Right. So mm-hmm. I think from the perspective of a nineteen-year-old, he was telling himself, "Well, you know what? Um, both of these locations sound really good, and I can do one, and then the other. As a matter of fact, I can make my way farther east. I can use Hawaii as a stepping stone to get to the Philippines." Um, because, you know, I I see these as two items that I really want to check off my bucket list. And Mm -hmm. yeah, if I can, if I can start in Hawaii, I can see what they're all about. And, uh, you know, I can enjoy the lays, I can enjoy the hula skirts. I can see all of the images that popular culture has told me about Hawaii. And then after that, I can go over to the Philippines and I can see what they know. And you know, to a nineteen-year-old in nineteen thirty-six, I mean, I, I can I can totally see how that would be his, his how that would be his thought process, and uh, probably the furthest thing from anybody's mind at that point, anyway, would be the possibility that uh, within just a few years, you know, the uh, the entire Pacific region would be set on fire, and we would be mm-hmm. at war with the Empire of Japan.
1: Yeah, yeah and he was there yeah. for Pearl Harbor.
0: He sure was. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oddly enough, he was not necessarily surprised when the war finally came and he said something that I think was very profound. And uh, it's something that I had never heard and I had never read anywhere before. But in the uh, in the weeks and months leading up to Pearl Harbor, he was uh, called in to a briefing theater. Uh, with all of the other officers in the Hawaiian Division at that point, and he said that it was General Walter Short who gave the brief. He said, "Look, guys, uh, the writing is on the wall. Uh, you know, we all know that uh, we all know that that uh, that the Empire of Japan has been making trouble all throughout the Pacific. We saw very clearly what they did in Manchuria. Um, so." I'm just going to give it to you guys straight. Look, um, whether we like it or not, someday soon we are going to be at war with the empire of, of, of Japan. And and I just got out of a meeting with the president of these United States and uh, we have determined that probably on or about January 1st, 1942, we are going to be engaged in active hostilities. So I want you guys to be prepared for this possibility. And what I want you all to do is I want you to make ready. Yes, we know that the War Department has put us on a shoestring budget, but you know, we're going to have to go to war with the army we have and not the army we want. So memorize your battle positions, know your jobs inside and out, because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And when the war finally does come, I want you I I, I really want you guys to be ready. Don't say anything about what you've heard in this briefing until long after the war is over. And here's another kicker, guys. We know that if we go to war with Japan, they're not going to last too long, okay? Eventually, we know and they know that they're going to lose, but when we do win this war, all throughout the war, guys, do not, and I can't emphasize this enough: do not criticize the Emperor of Japan. You can criticize the government, you can criticize the Japanese military, oh. all you want. Don't say anything bad about the Emperor, because we are going to need the Emperor after the war is done to help, you know, to help uh, help reestablish control. And, you know, hmm. Jay, at this point, wow. he is like a twenty-four-year-old officer, and he's sitting in the briefing, and he's like, "Okay, well." That's interesting. It doesn't really surprise me because I know what the Japanese have been doing, but uh, wow, I wonder how they came up with a January 1st, 1942 ETA of when we would probably be at war. So uh, neither him nor any of his comrades who were sitting in the briefing, at least based on what he said, none of them were surprised to hear this. They said, okay, well, we know that war is coming, but wow, January 1st, you know, that's only like a few months away. Um, Okay so essentially general what you're telling us is that you know we see the freight train coming down the tracks we see the you know we see the glow of the headlamp we know that the train is going to plow us over just you're you're telling us essentially to either you know try and cut the track or try and build a barrier to try to lessen the impact of the train when it hits us <laughs> so um that's with that in mind they mm-hmm. uh, said okay well if we know it's coming let's just try to do the best we can but No one really anticipated it happening on the 7th of December. And, you know, now we get into, you know, the realm of what the government knew, when they knew it, and if they could have done anything to try to prevent that attack.
2: Mm.
0: Well, you know, uh, there are as many conspiracy theories and as many pieces of evidence (laughs) out there (laughs) as the day is long. But, uh, you know, Jay just said, okay, well, this is the information that I've received. So um, what I'm going to do when Pearl Harbor, or excuse me, what I a- a- am going to do when the attack actually happens is I'm just going to do the best I can. And then on the morning of December seventh, you know, he awakens to the sights and sounds of Pearl Harbor, and it's like, okay, this is it. This is what we prepared for. And you know, he tries to do the best he can, um, but you know, the the uh, the part of the military complex. That he is uh, that he is on at the time is Schofield Barracks, and uh, they are getting strafed by Japanese planes left and right. And anytime anyone tries to assemble a convoy or tries to commandeer a vehicle, I mean, they are cut down in a hail of Japanese gunfire. Yeah. And you know, so he and his unit don't have much else to do except you know stay there helplessly, you know, pinned down, and you know, and uh, catch these glimpses of battleship Row going up in flames right in front of them. Wow. And, uh, you Mm. know, so while he's seeing all this death and destruction all around him, he says to himself, "Okay, well, you know, uh, let's at least try to make our way down to the beach so we can set up all of our defensive positions. And by that evening, he is among a handful of survivors who are, you know, who are digging trenches along the beaches of Oahu. And they are setting up all of these artillery pieces on the beaches because they are dead certain at this point that Pearl Harbor was just the first wave of an invasion and that there's a Japanese task force that is going to be on its way to the Hawaiian Islands.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. that you know, Mm -hmm. when you think about all of this, you know, when you don't talk about it, don't tell anybody even after the war. And then now you're able to get this. When were documents, when were they allowed to speak? I mean, because, I mean, reading the book and I'm part way through it, it's, again you always bring this human story so we understand what people were thinking feeling going Mm. through in the dialogue in there it it does feel like you're sitting and having a conversation with him so it's Mm. very like nancy says this this should be a movie because it's very personable and um, very easy to read and um you know nancy and i haven't served in the military but we're learning a ton (laughs) but yeah and it's easy for us to read as someone who Mm. you know to grasp that history grasp that um, story these these people have that you know that you've been covering for years, mm-hmm. but like for you to get that information, I mean, when did they say okay you can talk about it to get well, that see, kind of they, info?
0: Yeah, so according to Jay, he said that uh, you're not allowed to talk about anything we say in this briefing until after the war is over. So um, you know okay. it it, uh, it is. I think of the tightest operational security that you know you not let any of this out, and you know that if you do say anything, just wait until after the war is over because we don't want um, any of this information out and probably disrupting the course of the war effort. Um, you know because if it uh, if, if the wrong set of ears hear it, mm-hmm. it could probably create a lot of backlash on the home front. And sure. yeah,
1: there was a and, lot of fear for good reason. Yeah, yeah, you know, with the Japanese. I mean, we've we've talked about this on shows before, but uh, here he is in the heart of this. It's it's a little bit different than driving the truck and hunting in the in the desert, right? Uh-huh. So now it's like okay, game on, kind of thing. Um, and def- I mean, that feeling of seeing something like that for the first time has to move you in different ways emotionally and also fuel. Like, I'm going to get you, you know. Right. It fuels mm-hmm. badassery, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to really back to that. It really does, yeah. You, know? mm-hmm. you they, uh, talk they... about him being a founding far, uh, father of airmobile or air assault warfare. So was this, right. I mean, does this tie into when he was in Pearl Harbor or is that later?
0: Uh, yeah, that actually comes, let's see, that's going to be about 14 years later
2: at that point.
1: Oh, okay. So, so at this point, there were like the seven... Nancy, you were talking about death charges and all kinds of things.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh goodness! Nancy's that like was... death
1: charge. Like I know that's a good yeah. cup of coffee, but this is like the real deal that he was going through.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, um, I uh, I was really surprised to see that story, and mm. I mean, it it, uh, it 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 was it was. I think the best way I can describe it is that it was equal parts shocking, and then equal parts hell yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, mm-hmm. based on my own experiences in the military, I can say that if we tried that today, we'd probably all be tried as war criminals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, here was um, here was a point in time in the military. And I think in uh, I think in, in broader in 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 the broader terms of American society in general, that, uh, you know, you, uh, you do what you can to accomplish the job. And um, when you're in war, the ends are going to justify the means. And there's this innate understanding that war is not pretty and that it is not glorious. It's not poetic. And you have to do some dirty things sometimes really for the sake of getting the job done, because Aww. your job is to win the war. So the setup for this particular story is that here they were towards the end of the campaign on Guadalcanal, and the Japanese had occupied this canyon that was on the far side of the island. So it was one of those circular canyons that's, um, I guess the best way I can describe it is that it's kind of like a cereal bowl almost. And they were in this canyon, and they said, okay, well, you know, if we send any number of battalions or regiments down there, um, you know, because they are already, because they are already defending in a low ground area. Um, a lot of our guys are going to get chewed up and you know we can't send any, we can't send any naval gunfire there into the battery because um, you know all of the uh, offshore batteries can't see it and the and all of, the traject- all, the, all, all, all of the trajectories you know, for that naval gunfire, they're, 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 uh, they tend to be pretty low and shallow, so we can't get a high enough arc of fire to go into the canyon. So we don't really wanna risk losing any more lives at this point, because we've already taken a tremendous beating, you know, just trying to get the high ground here on Guadalcanal. So what's an expeditious way to eliminate as many Japanese soldiers as we can down in, down in this canyon as possible? And that's when one of the Naval liaison officers pipes up and says, hey guys, I got a lot of depth charges on, <laughs> on these ships out there in the sea that we're not using. Uh, what if we just drop a few depth charges down into this canyon here? And I'm thinking wow. to myself, okay, a depth charge
2: <laughs> mm. is
0: a weapon that you use to kill enemy submarines. And mm-hmm. all the depth charges is, is it's, this, it's this big canister Right, and and you uh, and you you uh, you throw it off off the edge of a ship, it sinks underwater, and it sets off this huge it it it, it uh, sets off this huge concussion wave. You know, it, it's a uh, it, it it's a shock wave yeah. that the um, it's a shock wave that the blast sends off, and this huge concussion wave is is designed to you know send off such a huge shock you know through all the density of the water. To uh, to kill and destroy enemy subs, and if you're using that in the open air,
2: <laughs> just imagine what man. it is going to
0: do to an enemy <laughs> soldier. So yeah, they uh, so yeah, I mean it, it was nothing at all. They had no reservations doing it. You know, he got on the radio and he said, you know, hey, send a flight of planes overhead. We're going to drop some depth charges, things to kill enemy submarines, but we're going to use them to kill enemy troops. So you know, a dude, whole flight dude. of uh, a whole <laughs> flight of uh, planes come overhead, and they drop these depth charges. And, you know, it, it sounds loud enough if the explosion happens underwater, but when it happens in midair, oh, my God, it is mm. like a deafening roar. So, you know, they yeah. drop these charges and they explode, you know, just a, a few feet off the ground in the canyon. And the shock wave was so intense that it was like literally snapping the Japanese uh, soldiers in half. I mean it was like snapping it's the like, next and you know they, were, you know, they were, having, you were having teeth rattled out of their skulls, oh their my eyes were God. coming out of their sockets. No, you know, you had brain they're lucky coming out of the ears.
2: It's dude. like I expected the cliffs to start crumbling and come down. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I yeah. mean it was that huge of a concussion wave that it was like literally snapping it's people crazy. in half and popping their popping their eyes no. out of their sockets
1: no and, dude. It, it, dude, and Mike, <laughs> we've gone from scorpions and and vinegar <laughs> <to cattle spiders laughs> your eyes falling the eyes popping and when out. the
0: americans <laughs> came through the canyon dude uh, uh, i i mean the only <laughs> thing that Jake could say at that point was oh my god i had never seen anything more horrific in my life i mean it was like not bad. Every boring slasher flick times one hundred. I mean, you know, I mean, just like all these different body parts and innards, you know, just like spread out everywhere. And you know, I, I mean, people were like literally mangled. I mean, you had guys on the ground, you know, their like neck was all contorted. And did you I see photos display, of this
1: when you were doing uh, the no, research?
0: No, I mean, I, I don't want I, to.
1: I, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, I'm yeah, like, I, don't I, put I, that uh, in
1: the book. I don't I, put yeah. the pictures yeah. of that in the oh, book, no, 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 no. man. Yeah. So thank but, goodness but I did so not that, see. Wow.
0: any pictures of that but uh so yeah, this were- is
1: really you know when you think about but hey when you don't when you to do stuff you you've you've gotta, gotta do, do and that's yeah. really you know your theme with all these you know heroes that you've been and leaders that they've always just gone okay the military hasn't supplied me with what i need we're still going in we're still going for it and we're going to do it this way yeah. it's rogue but um what was the alternative lose and die yeah you know see so you, so you really
2: yeah i just feel like they're creative but they were pushed into uh you know a corner where they it was that or they're gonna all be captured there's no such thing as friendly warfare no so i mean and that's what it is it's all about
1: kill the other side mm-hmm.
2: i mean if you can well, take them think-
1: enemies or whatever but, when you've seen yeah. battleship the battleship broke with that explosion going through and you see that, how is how does it not fuel you to do something like that? You know, to mm-hmm. take them out and say, Okay, well, you're gonna do that where I'm gonna up you one or two or three yeah, and, watch and we're this. gonna, just look okay. you're gonna yeah. we're gonna blow you up, like literally blow you up, you know. So you're moved. Through, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, we're gonna move you in a whole different way. Going from that, then ending in the Philippines, what what got him to the Philippines? Because he really went up in rank um, as he Mm -hmm. progressed in his career Mm -hmm. of badassery. (laughs)
0: He sure did, he sure did. So um, this was the dawn of 1944. And uh, yet he, at this point, he was serving on the intelligence staff of the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, he had been selected for that role Oddly enough, um, because uh, there had been a patrolling course that they had done in between the campaigns on Guadalcanal, and you know, given that he had the rough and rural upbringing, you know, he he he, he was already light years ahead of anyone else who was in the course, and you know, he was actually he actually became an uh, he became a student instructor uh, um, in the course of that patrolling um, class that they were doing, and he said, "Okay, guys, yeah, you know, here's what I learned when." I was growing up in the wilderness, you know, out in out in places like Arizona and Oklahoma. Here's how you build a lean-to. Here's how you can make a fire. Here is how you can make a fire, even if the ground surrounding you is wet. And uh, hmm. you know, so all of his fellow students are soaking up this information. And uh, towards the end of the course, there was a secret ballot that Vanderpool knew absolutely nothing about. That, that uh, you know, and th- this ballot would essentially select who was the most outstanding student of the course and all of his classmates unanimously selected him as Mm -hmm. the uh as the outstanding student so that information made its way all the way up to the top of the division headquarters and the you you had the g2 the guy who was in charge of of intelligence say okay you know what this guy Vanderpool, i want him on my staff i need somebody Mm -hmm. who is good i need somebody with that type of a tactical mindset to help us uh, to help us plan all of these um, all of these intelligence operations, and while he's there, uh, he gets a he he gets a call from the general headquarters of the Southwest Pacific area. That's the that's the fancy name that they that they applied to MacArthur's headquarters, and he said, "Hey, I uh, need some volunteers for a highly hazardous and a highly classified mission." I need someone who is a real go getter. I need someone who knows how to operate in the wilderness. I know someone who is skilled in the arts of scouting, patrolling, and tracking. Basically, give me the best outdoorsman in your ranks that you can find. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jay was actually the first point of contact to receive that communique. He's like, oh, hey, we got something here from uh, GHQ up at MacArthur's digs. And uh, you know what? This guy that that they say that they're looking for, you know, uh, if I can, I would like to volunteer myself for this mission, because it sounds like it's really right up my alley. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, he got permission, of course, to do it, he gets briefed on it. And he says, Hey, you know, uh, I don't know exactly the details of this, you know, so called highly hazardous mission. But if you want a guy who can uh, track and patrol, like the best of them, I'm your guy. And, you know, he finds out when he gets there that, okay, you know, the secret mission is you are going to become a Johnny on the spot commando, and you are going to be placed on a, uh, you are going to be placed with a, with a, a team of specialists. You're going to infiltrate the Philippine islands by submarine, and you are going to sneak behind enemy lines. You're going to make contact with all of the allied guerrilla movements that have popped up in the Philippine islands. You're going to find a point of contact and you are going to facilitate uh, communications. You're going to be an advisor and you're going to be a liaison. You're going to facilitate communications between these guerrillas over here and the follow on conventional forces. And that point wow. of contact, you will be mm-hmm. the critical juncture of how these two forces link up to retake the Philippine Islands. And he said, heck yeah, I'm in.
1: That's crazy. So you've got the gorilla. Yeah. So this is Mm. where it goes back to how you found out about him. Mm. Right. You you heard about Mm -hmm. him. And then Mm. a Facebook fan, you know, says, hello, you should Mm -hmm. be covering him. And you're like, yeah, because you were getting into that whole gorilla warfare part, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and it's the underdogs, really right the the gorillas in a way it's it's no they're smart yeah yeah i mean they're just they're
2: they're, um resilient they think out mm -hmm. of the box i think that's their biggest talent it's okay if we can't do it this way let's do it that way
1: but the meeting of the two sides Mm. goes that's brilliant you know what i mean when you think about okay here's the conventional because there's key elements to that it's it's like when you look at music And you learn how you need to learn your scales and your chords and everything and your foundation. But then you've got rock and roll who says, hey, screw that. Actually, if you learn this (laughs) part first, you can play rock and roll and then you can really kick ass, you know. So you have to have those two sides. And and I think that's
2: that's interesting. Some of the war history, like Santa Ana, just lining the soldiers up and walking into bullets. I mean, when I read about that, I was like, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. So all these guys, they know they're gonna die. You stand in a big row and keep marching, and there's a row behind you and a row behind them, and so you just get shot down. That's I mean, just pure execution style. It, well, yeah. What What's the point? That I mean, that's just stupid. You know. So I look at Uh-oh. the leaders and they say, "Well, it is. It's stupid." I agree. You You know, and it, I mean, you look at the leader. He should have been the first one. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have been on a horse at the back. He should have been the first guy in line. Because, yeah. yeah, maybe he would have learned Didn't something. we do that a little <laughs> bit in
1: the Revolutionary War, too? That walk, in, or is it more the Civil that War? That just where walk we were into marked, the bullets? Like, come on. Yeah, walk well,
0: in. it was, um, it really was a product of its time. And, you know, mm-hmm. these were, these really were the days of the linear battlefields where, you know, it was expected yeah. that, you know, where it was expected that these professional armies you know would stand in these rows and columns and they would march across the plains of europe and then they would stand a few years and then they would stand a few yards apart and they would take turns with these volleys of fire you know and, and then you then of course you had the artillery it that, that was you know that, that was trying to disrupt the lines and it, it was considered at the time and again this really was a product of its time but you know it was considered at the time mm. that if you tried to duck to avoid a volley of fire that it was that it was considered dishonorable to do so. But I think at some point- Like Like, cowardice? But I I think at some point, the Americans finally figured out, well, you know what? Hey, if I duck or if I hide behind a tree or if I climb a tree and I become a sniper to try to pick off different British troops, that doesn't make me dishonorable. It makes me smart because-
1: Exactly.
0: They're dead and I'm living to fight another day.
1: See, but look yeah, at the Boston and, Tea Party. And then, uh, right? I thought win. that was one of the coolest stories. You know? The Boston Tea Party right. was like total, like out, you know, trickery. And that goes to exactly. Coyote Recon, too. Now, that mm-hmm. Coyote Recon, the title yeah. is perfect because yeah. it is, it's, it's the trickster, you know, in, it's, in it's Southwestern lore. It's a trickster, well, but. Brain. And then that's, right. you know, his roots kind of come from there. I mean, he, he's going to know about coyotes. We need them mm-hmm. on the farm where we are now. <laughs> yeah.
0: And in the modern coyotes. vernacular, you know, when we talk about coyotes, you know, in, mm-hmm. a, um, in, in, a, uh, in a metaphorical sense, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, you have a coyote who is somebody who is, who is, uh, who is smuggling people uh, across mm-hmm. international borders. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that is just exactly what Jay Vanderpool was doing. He was smuggling commandos behind enemy lines. He was smuggling mm-hmm. guerrillas behind enemy lines you know trying to coordinate all these operations i'm like yeah he is a coyote in the military sense yep a coyote Mm -hmm. who's working for the good guys
2: yeah yeah yeah. wow and you know i i'm sure there's more than one you know it's just it's a good title Mm because it's exactly what he is it's a coyote and they're smart so with everything that you've
1: been doing on the history channel Right, you were in the series and, uh, and then you were just on the history channel again right is that aired yet. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me we Uh, missed this.
0: No, no see so um, the, the, the second go around for me on the history channel um, that is going to be airing uh, sometime in
2: 2023.
0: Uh, So I, I, I want to say may or june time frame but that is going to be a show that aaron that airs in the springs um uh, for all of our listeners and viewers out there
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh there is a new show coming up that's called military mysteries and it will be premiering on, on the history channel soon and uh yeah they uh they 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 they, they ended up having me as a uh as commentator for cool. segments that are going to be spanning seven episodes i think oh and, cool uh, it's gonna be uh, awesome it, it, it's going to be a show that addresses a lot of the um, you know a, a lot of the oddities that have happened within within military operations uh you know throughout uh, throughout various points in history and uh, yeah it promises to be a very good show it it, it captures cool. the same vibe i think as the old un, 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 unexplained mysteries yeah from the 80s
1: yeah that's cool that's cool and so i was gonna say with with your connections on the history channel i think you know maybe ask them to do coyote recon as a movie yeah or Uh, documentary don't you think that would be awesome that would be awesome Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Yeah. i could definitely see this as an hbo miniseries Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Yeah. because i mean he's got so many stories i mean it just. Mm -hmm. I mean, he went. He how he was in this his whole life, right? The military, pretty much. Yeah,
0: yeah pretty much. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. he. Uh, yeah, from the time he was nineteen, I think, until like just after his fortieth birthday, fiftieth.
1: Mm. Yeah, so like twenty years, basically. Yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a long. That's mm-hmm. cool. Well, I love the story, and I can't wait to mm-hmm. finish it everyone this is coming out soon so keep up with mike at MikeGuardia.com. facebook youtube instagram here on instagram he's a grammar now yeah. Yeah. he's on Twitter and um he's got oh, a man. new uh podcast the retro wave history that is fun yeah. that's fun Thanks. so you do that every month
2: mm-hmm it's
0: every month a new episode
1: right on right on so keep cool. up with him and facebook of course that's and you've got a, who who gave you the shout out to do this um on got to give him a shout out.
0: Right, right. Uh, Oh, okay. So that is a gentleman and his name is Paul Bless. And Ah. uh, yeah, he has, he has been a top fan of mine on Facebook for a long time. And uh, yeah, it was, um, I want to say it was about two years ago now. um, I think I was making a post that had to deal with danger forward. And he wrote down in the comment section, you know, hey, Mike, you should really think about you, you should really think about doing a biography on Jay Vanderpool. And as and as as soon as he said that, I was like Jay Vanderpool. I know that name because mm-hmm. I had first come across the name in two thousand eight when I was doing research for American Gorilla, mm-hmm. and then I came across the name again when I was compiling when uh, I was compiling uh, when when I was compiling data for the Hal Moore book. So uh, I knew him in those two separate settings, or I knew of him, uh, but it never really occurred to me to try to dive deeper and to see if I could connect those two, if
2: Hmm.
0: I could connect those two separate entities into a full-on biography. But when Paul had mentioned that, I was like, you know what, I think, uh, I actually think I want to dig into that. If he's Suggesting a biography, there's probably a, there's probably a good base of knowledge out there that would be Ian, 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 Ian enough to build an entire story off of. And uh, then when I started diving into everything that he had done and just the incredible backstory that brought mm. him to the military in the first place, I was like, oh my God, you know, Paul, thank you. You just gave me an awesome idea for this new mm-hmm. book that I want to write. And yeah, uh, cool. kind of a funny story on how I came up with the title coyote recon because at first I wanted to really emphasize the reconnaissance aspect of his career and the things that he had done but I wanted to call the book at first ghost recon because you know Mm -hmm. to me that sounded it it sounded catchy it sounded epic and you know I figured okay well he was essentially a ghost and you know he was moving in and out of the shadows he was doing stuff behind enemy lines
1: shapeshifter yeah Mm -hmm. exactly
0: exactly a shapeshifter of sorts and Then I found out that the title Ghost Recon was actually a registered trademark to a company called Ubisoft, because they had produced the video game series Ghost Recon as part of the Tom Clancy universe. So I'm like, oh, drat, man, I can't use that Mm -hmm. now. What else am I going to do? And at first I was racking my brain. I was like, mildly heartbroken that this title that I really wanted to use, I couldn't use. And I just said, okay, well, I want to keep Recon in the title. Well, is there a... Is there like a, a is there another prefix that I can put to that? Is there maybe a, a predatory mm-hmm. animal of sorts that I can use? So I no joke just went on to Google and I typed, okay, list of predatory animals, just to see what I could come up with. And it populated an entire list and I started scrolling mm-hmm. down. I was like, bear, no, lion, no, tiger, uh-uh, hyena, really? <laughs> <laughs> snake
2: and, yeah, and snake then snake
1: recon. <laughs>
2: It Camel spider.
1: Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> coyote. Right. coyote. And well, then it got to coyote. Perfect. I'm like, oh man, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's because it of the, the trafficking over the borders too. And you know, but well, it, I like because it. they're so they're Smart. so um yeah, they can they
2: can change your mind and do something within. They, split, they're perhaps. solitary,
1: but with their pack as well. So mm-hmm. they do that solo yeah. run off and, and hunt, you know. And mm-hmm. then when they with their pack, oh my god, that is one eerie sound when yeah, the pack that gets together scary. and starts doing that oh, yip yeah. yip yip, you know. Mm-hmm. They're jackals, mm-hmm. you know, and jackals in in Africa are very similar Ooh. in the way yeah. they hunt, and and there is they are like shapeshifters and Native mm-hmm. American lore. Um, And coyotes that's where the trickster comes in because uh you know you'll see him here but then they'll disappear and they're there so it really does go with ghosts the ghost Mm -hmm. part of it and shape-shifting is just so huge in that um legend and and you know beliefs and stories passed down and it ties Mm -hmm. in with Oklahoma when you think about his roots and uh, Oklahoma and and the desert southwest so uh yeah it's a perfect title and yeah. congratulations another book it's often mm-hmm. getting run out there to be printed and shipped out to everybody so end of october november uh watch out for it on amazon just type in mike guardian when you see it pop up there you can pre-order um as well and uh how many books how many books now is it 23 20 23 24 apparently i can't count <laughs> 26
0: actually this is an even 24 so i am right at two dozen oh
1: Wow. Two dozen. That's it. Mm-hmm. See, and, and here we are on a chicken farm and they <coughs> do two dozen eggs a week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So everyone, MikeGuardia.com, of course, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you so much, Mike.
0: Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be on the show.